You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to another Blank Monster segment here on Blank Scenario. I am your host, Marie, and in these episodes, I go through the 5e Monster Manual and present to you two or three monsters that I think are either overused or underused and a couple of scenario ideas for them. We have been working our way through the book alphabetically. This week, we are on to letter R. I will give an honorable mention to one of the monsters we aren't going in-depth on, the Rexasha. Thank you. That if you heard Casey, that <laughs> Rock Sasha, Rock Shasta. I will give an honorable mention to the Rock Sasha, which <laughs> that it is a fiend from the Nine Hells that normally looks like anything it wants to, but it's humanoid form, if you can call it that, is a tiger hybrid with backwards hands. Um, reason it gets an honorable mention is because it would be a great big bad for a short campaign. You could have your players either dealing with a relative that angered this being, or maybe they did themselves, and they have to go on a quest to try to find this layer in the Nine Hells, kill it on the material plane, go to Nine Hells, kill it on the um, opposite plane, and officially kill it that way. Uh, but we are not going to go in depth on those. We are, in fact, covering three other monsters this week. Our first monster is one you might not be as familiar with, the Rimmer Hazes. Um, it is spelled R-E-M-O-R Haze, so Rimmer Haze, Rimmer as, I've also heard it pronounced as. Either way, it's probably fine. These are Arctic creatures, which we don't get a lot of creatures in the Arctic, interestingly enough. But it looks like a really oversized centipede. It is a huge monstrosity, so very oversized with wing-like fins around its top half of its body, not really head, and a lot of teeth. The reason they are specifically found in the Arctic or Tundra environments is because they have adapted a very interesting ability. They can create a furnace-like heat within their bodies that allows them to survive in this environment. Whenever they burst out of the ground because they are ambush predators, they come out with a bunch of steam as they melt all the ice around them in order to attack. They will actually bury themselves in ice and snow. You might be wondering how, because they are burning hot. They can drop their temperature enough to not melt the snow and ice around them, and they then use tremor sense to detect anything coming nearby to attack. So while they are not intelligent, they are smart hunters. They will typically hunt anything in their territory, such as elk, polar bears, other creatures that might be of good enough size to eat. They will usually be found around frost giants, however, because the frost giants have discovered that you can train them from a hatchling, so they will go out, find a rimmer haze nest, and take the eggs, and raise them from hatchlings in order to act as guards or as just attack creatures of some nature. Small rimmer hazes, because there is two different stat blocks. Small ones do not swallow what they're eating because they're only a large monstrosity. But the normal adult size can actually swallow creatures, and while doing so will begin digesting them unless they are incentivized through combat to spit them back out. So this is a very interesting creature to have to come across in the Arctic because it's not 
really something you think about is, oh, something's going to pop out of snow at me, right? That's not really where we look when we go to the Arctic. A couple of scenario ideas for these guys. The first is only good but a goodie. Your party is being sent out to find a nest and bring back an egg so that it can be hatched and then be trained. This, of course, brings the question of you have to find a rimmer haze nest before it finds you. You need to not be killed by it because these things do fire damage when you attack them. So it's not going to be an easy fight to go into. And then you need to get the egg back with you. The 5e manual does not say how territorial these things are. I don't have any current books on hand that have the Remoraz in it. So there's probably some lore you can find or you can decide whether or not they are protecting their nest or if they are just going to lay eggs and then leave it. That can be up to you to decide. So it could be very easy to get an egg. could be very difficult. It could just be more of you're walking to a minefield. Be careful. The second option is not dealing with the Rimmer Haze specifically, but dealing with them as guards. Your party is on their way to a Frost Giant camp. If you're playing at Storm King's Thunder, this is a great option for monster throw-in. And you are ambushed by a couple of Rimmer Hazes as you are attacking. These can be guard creatures, so they are specifically set in a spot, said, hey, don't let anything come through. And they are just going to attack until they're dead. They might run away, but if they are trained, I imagine they are going to hold their ground as long as possible. The third option is a bit more small scale. You have a local village in the Arctic that has noticed a lot of elk are disappearing. They're not finding as many herds as they used to. Any herds they do come across might be attacked or very skittish. And this is because a rumor has, has set up a nest within the area and has begun hunting. This would be really good if you want to have a Arctic druid in the party, maybe, that would be more familiar with the area to kind of help you hunt it down. But this is just going to be a find a nest and clear it out situation. Again, it's not necessarily a brand new creature, but it's a good threat in an environment that we don't usually have to worry about monster attacks. Normally in the Arctic, you're worried about cold, exhaustion, and food. You're not worried about something underground sneaking up on you. We do have another slight sneak up monster, though. Our second monster this week is the Revenant. Now, you probably know what this is. This is a very popular mythology creature. A Revenant is a person who was killed unjustly or is coming back for revenge. If you've seen the crow, this is basically what he is. And its goal is to basically find a person or thing, I guess, depending upon how you want to set him up. Find a person that killed them and take vengeance. Within D&D lore will inhabit their original body. If that body's not available for whatever reason, they'll find another corpse to hop into. And for all intents and purposes, they do look like a zombie. Except for eyes that burn with hatred and resolve. So they, from a distance, appear like, oh, a zombie. Until you realize that's not how a zombie looks. I do want to note, with the idea of them being able to hop into any corpse, you can have any sentient race of humanoids become a revenant. You could have a centaur hop into the body of a halfling if you wanted to. And the best part is, no matter what body they are in, their adversary, the person they are hunting, will always recognize them. So you can have a creature that maybe is kind of throwing you off, right? Like your party, like this person is not who they say they are. Until they look in the eyes of the person who's their adversary and they go, oh, they are. It's a great way to mix up either abilities 
that the Revenant has that they may not have had in life based upon size or species now. Or it could even just be your party isn't going to immediately recognize them. Now, with them coming back to get revenge, there is a time limit. A Revenant has one year to get revenge on their adversary. Now, if there are multiple adversaries, maybe there's a group that you're coming after, they will target them one at a time, starting with whoever dealt the killing blow. And if the adversary is killed or if a year has passed, the Revenant then crumbles to dust and its soul goes to the afterlife because it's completed or failed in its mission. If it is going after an adversary too powerful, such as your big bad, it will get help. These things are not mindless killing monsters. This is a person who has come back for vengeance. And if you manage to destroy the body it's in, it just finds a new one and keeps going until time limit is up. It will always know where its adversary is, whichever target is going after, if it's going after a group. And it knows not only where it is, but how far away they are. So it knows when it's getting close. It's not a general direction like a lot of spells give you. Um, within combat, the Revenant has a couple of fun options. It has regeneration and rejuvenation abilities, so it is very difficult to just straight up kill. It also is immune to turn undead, so if you have a cleric in your party, they can't just immediately wipe it out. They also can do extra damage to their adversary, so once they're in a fight with the person who killed them, they're going to be able to do a ton of extra damage to them, and they can paralyze them to be able to get a little bit extra damage off on them each round. So two scenario ideas for this one, because it is a very fun either PC or NPC. The first is you have your players, which are a party of murder hobos, because there's always that group out there. And they're being pursued by the man that they killed. Now, you can decide within the story if they've killed someone significant or someone who had a lot to lose, maybe. Um, if the shopkeeper that was just starting his business and he now is dead because, you know, they killed him and his family has fallen to ruin. Or maybe it's a person that they legitimately just walked into the farmhouse and killed for no reason. You can decide within game how, how much of an issue they've been based upon who's coming after them. But they will pursue the party and just take them out one by one, starting with whoever dealt the final blow. You can fudge that a little bit if you don't remember or if it's not super important, and that's fine. This is a really good idea if you need someone that will pursue your party a lot or be getting a lot of people to attack. Or if you're doing a sort of a reunion one-shot where we're going to get these players back out and just do a one-shot with them, this is another good one to do is to just kind of remind the players of what they've done. The second scenario option is actually a party member that's been killed, either by a villain that your party has encountered or even the big bad if you want to go that route, and they've come back and they're asking for help to get vengeance. Now, this does mean you've got sort of a mini quest, most likely, unless this was a smaller villain that's killed him, because you need to help him get revenge within a year. Otherwise, he's failed and his soul is just going to go to the afterlife knowing that. You could have this character be played by the party member if you wanted to. If they want to keep that character around, they can. One of the varying options for Revenants is they can actually keep spells and weapon abilities. So you could kind of just give them a couple of extra things and they can keep their character sheet on hand. Just so that way there they can actually finish the quest themselves. Or they could maybe be playing a new character and you're just playing this old guy as an NPC. Either way, I think would work fine. So that is a Revenant. Very fun. There's a lot of kind of lore you could dig into in the real world as well as far as people coming back for vengeance. 
So there's a lot of ways you could really dig into it of even the parties being asked for help if you want to go that route by someone random that they don't know. That will bring us to our last monster, which is honestly one of my favorite in D&D, although it is so hard to use once you get past level three, pretty much. This is the ever so popular and well-known Rust Monster. Even if you're not super familiar with games, if you're a new gamer, you have probably heard of a Rust Monster before. They pop up a lot in video games and in just general fantasy lore. Rust Monsters are not made of rust, but they eat rust. Specifically, they corrode metal and then eat that. Any ferrous metal they can find, including weapons and armor, that you might be using and wearing at the time. That's why these things are a pain to fight, because if you don't have non-metal slash very powerful magical items, they can be a major hassle. Now, they are very low as far as challenge rating. They're, I think, like a two. Not even a two. They're half a challenge rating. They have 20 hit points. They're super easy to kill. But you don't want them to get close, because when they do, they start putting negative penalties onto whatever they manage to corrode. So your armor that was a plus five is now plus four, then a plus three, then a plus two. And if it hits a certain point, it becomes useless. So this is a really good way if you have a party that has decided to hoard items or is trying to get ready for a boss and you need to, we- need to weaken them up a little bit just to make them a bit more afraid. They're a really good monster just to kind of have in an area. They are a medium monster. They look kind of like a giant tick. Lack of a better word, there's not really a good way to describe these guys. They're just a giant bug creature. Um, normally, they're found either by themselves or a small group, so you don't need a bunch running around. And anyone not carrying metal, they don't care about. They only go after metal items. But if you have metal, they're very, very aggressive. Fun thing with this is they're very low intelligence, but they can be used as pets. If you give them metal and treat them well enough, they'll just hang out and just you know, be a nice little companion for anyone who doesn't care about metals, like druids. So they're often found in nests of other creatures because they're not going to be attacked. They're not attacking them. They just kind of clean up the scraps of my victims, so I don't care about them. Now, how far out they can detect metal is a bit iffy. 3.5 says up to 90 feet away. Within their stats in 5e, it says 30 feet. So... You kind of have to fudge it a little bit. I would say it's more of a general sense at 90 feet. Once you hit 30 feet, they can pinpoint it pretty accurately. So that would be my guesstimation on that. There's also the issue of whether it's enchanted. Now, in 5th edition, it makes no mention of that. It's just a metal item. In 3.5, it actually says metal items have to make a saving throw, essentially, or risk being dissolved. Again, you could kind of fudge it. Normally, when I've seen them play it, it seems like magic items are immune. But I think it'd be really fun to have that plus one sword end up being a negative one sword because they ran into rust monsters and didn't think about, oh yeah, it's still a metal sword that's been enchanted. So I do have a few scenario ideas for these guys because they are very fun, even though they are low level and more of a nuisance monster than anything. So if you do need a low level encounter, these are some good guys to throw in. Our first one deals with a druid who is underground where... Most of the rust monsters are found. They're subterranean dwellers. And this druid has managed to employ, through bribery with metal that they get from the dwarves in the area, several rust monsters that they keep around as guards. They kind of just have a tunnel system. They make sure that it's loaded with rust 
and or other metals that they can get just keep the guys around and kind of just helps to you know keep people away your party might be going in either to deal with the druid for any number of reasons including combat and this is going to be a hindrance before they get there they have to get through either one or two groups of rust monsters before they can even get to the druid so their weapons are not going to be in the best shape going into that fight the next one is going to involve your party exploring the underdark this could be part of a campaign or just maybe they've been down here for some other reason. And they've encountered a large amount of rust monsters in the area. This is sort of a companion scenario to the first one with the druid. The rust monsters are basically scavengers around a larger monster's lair. This monster eats flesh, doesn't care about anything that people are carrying. So all these scraps have been left out and these rust monsters have basically realized they can hang out here and get free food. So the rust monsters here are a hindrance, but it's also a warning to the party if they're smart enough to realize, wait, why are there so many of these guys in an area with no metal veins running through it? So very good deterrent for your party if you need to give them a heads up. Like, hey, maybe you want to choose a different path without just flat out telling them. And the last one is going to be a bit more of a upgraded version of Rats in Basement. A dwarven mine has discovered a new vein of iron. Iron in an area. I can't say that word. Whatever. <laughs> um, as they follow that new vein, they've realized it opens up into a rust monster den. Within the books I have in 5e, there's no description of where rust monsters come from because they kind of look like bugs. I assume most likely there's a rust monster queen somewhere. That's where this scenario comes into. There's literally just a nest of these things. You can do more research if you want to on it, or just basically make it like as a giant anthill. Either one's fine. But your party is going to be sent in because if they don't get this nest cleared out, it will follow the vein back to the mining camp, back to the Dwarven City, and that's a major problem because they have a lot of metal around. They don't want to have to be fighting these things constantly. Again, it's pretty much a rat's in the basement. They're not a major threat at the moment, and they probably won't be. They're a nuisance that you can go and clean out. So your party needs to get the nest clean, get the queen killed, and you'll get paid. So a very good low-level encounter if you want to deal more with a dwarven city and you want your party to have something that's a bit more just general combat that they can kind of show off a little bit but have an easy time with a fight. So that is going to be our three monsters this week, plus the honorable shout-out to the Arc Sasha. I can say because Casey has headphones in now. So we have the Rimmer has or Rimmer Hazes, however you say it, the Revenants, and Rust Monsters. I will say the scalability of these is very funny. Rust Monsters are super easy to fight. Revenants an okay fight if you've got the skill, and a Rimmer has is pretty much going to be an all-out battle no matter what you do. But that is going to be it for this week. Um, we're running out of letters very quickly, so if you have any monsters coming up in the next few letters you want me to cover, let me know. If there is a monster that you really like I haven't done yet, uh, also let me know that. And I might be able to go back and do a special episode that way. And I will see you in the next episode. Hello. 
Bob Spuds here on The Scene once again, reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut tension full truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy.